0: Be
1: continued at scs.georgetown.edu podcast.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys and Ties podcast. This is Dustin. I'm here with Rob. It's been a while since we've gotten a pod out. You know, Rob's busy, new job, living in Charlottesville, caught up in the life. Rob, how are you doing? Tell the people what's going on.
1: Good as always, man. Yeah, Charlottesville life is uh is pretty fun. It's definitely a change of pace from that D.C. life mm-hmm. that you're still kind of living. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's been good, man. It's been good. Unfortunately, I've only been able to get to one basketball game, but hopefully okay. we'll change that coming up and get to some lax games. We're going to have some fun this spring.
0: Yeah, it'll be a good time. It'll be a good time. I, um, I think that, you know, the lacrosse games you can definitely get to, uh... You know, oh, yeah. Cheap, cheap, uh, cheap grass tickets definitely get you going. But, uh, basketball might be tough. Uh, we'll see if JPJ actually starts to fill up a little bit after a big win over Duke on Saturday. Um, speaking of which, Rob, have you, have you noticed the, but, you know, poor turnout that some people have talked about, like while watching the TV or, or actually at a game?
1: Uh, I definitely have. I mean, compared to the crowds when we were in school, Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's, it's different. It's lighter. But you know, you have the pandemic going on still, you know, for the only game I've been to so far this season was the Louisville game. And that was still when they didn't have food or drink sales. So yeah, it's, it's just a different environment.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. I didn't think about that. But I guess it's just like the team isn't or wasn't. As exciting as before, I think people, a lot of people, counted this team out. You know, losing some bad games early on and dropping some, some other games by a lot too, just kind of turned everyone away, kind of. But you know, winning at Duke in Cameron Indoor on a buzzer beater, I think, kind of buzzed everyone up. And now there's all this talk within the UVA community about. UVA do we have a chance at the NCAA tournament so to start off I think Rob if you're okay with it I want to do some bubble talk because we haven't we haven't been on the bubble since since uh, our senior year of high school which was 2012- 2013 back when the in the Joe Harris when Joe Harris beat Duke that 33point game in JPJ but before we get started, I do want to talk about our sponsor from Sports Drink. Today's episode of Guys and Ties is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open up Instagram and type in at sports drink. It's spelled like sports drink without the vowel. So if you're going to Instagram at S P R T S D R N K, all we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying to not let the funk out. UVA football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing bree cheese eating NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. punch people from UBA right in the neck. They wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. All right, Rob, let's do some bubble talk. So, before the Duke game, UVA was squarely out. And there was no no talk of UVA making the tournament. It was kind of like, seemed like a wash. People were calling for some of the younger guys to be played more. It's just like a, you know, shoot the season away kind of deal. Get them some experience. But now, you know, we beat Duke. We only play seven guys. uh No, sorry, eight guys against Duke. I forget that, um, Poindexter played so much in that game, but it seems like the rotation's tight and seems like Tony's kind of figured out his rotation and how he wants players to play. And it seems to be working. Rob, how do you feel about the team seemingly finally finding its footing so late in the season? Like, do you have hope at this point?
1: (laughs) Hope is dangerous, man. I I think we all know that. I know. Yeah, no, I I do have a bit of hope. Um, And, you know, looking at this schedule, Virginia hadn't strung together consecutive wins before this past week since January 1st and January 4th, where they won against Syracuse, they won against Clemson. And then for the eight games since then, they traded wins and losses, just back to back to back to back and so forth. Mm -hmm. So now here we are, a win against Boston College that – You know, it wasn't dominant, but it was a fairly comfortable margin, 67-55. Virginia beats Miami pretty soundly. The final score, you know, just putting the walk-ons in at the end, doesn't Mm -hmm. quite reflect how well UVA played. And then any win you get at Cameron Indoor against Duke, you take it. And Virginia looked good. I mean, I think I was one of many people that kind of rode off that game. I had pretty low expectations coming into it. and. Mm -hmm. Virginia delivered, and I mean, I, w- I was really proud to support that team that night. Yeah. So yeah, we've got a little bit of hope now. I would say probably two—the past two wins have been the two strongest wins of the season. Mm-hmm. Virginia, you know, you got to be wary of the letdown game this Saturday at Georgia Tech, but that's a game UVA should win. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of in the final stretch there, but it, you've got a puncher's chance closing the season: uh, Virginia Tech, Miami, Duke. Florida State and Louisville. Yeah. That's a tough stretch. Don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong. I mean that's as tough a stretch as they've had this season probably. But, you know, you feel more confident coming in to this game after this past three game stretch.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but when we did the season preview, I actually pointed out to this last five game stretch as like the most important. And I actually I actually kinda got it wrong. I said that Miami was gonna be the bad one. But it's in Miami, so it's tough. And that Florida State and Louisville were going to be better. And of course, that's not true. Florida State just lost a pit at home. And Louisville is in chaos. I have no idea what's going on with Louisville. They're just, I, I feel like they don't exist anymore, really. And of course, Duke's in there. We have Duke at home. And then Tech at Tech in Blacksburg in the castle. Um is just, you know, always awful. And then so that those five are really t- and then Georgia Tech too but I'm not like frankly not very worried about Georgia Tech and I say that now and it'll probably bite Knock me yeah I know <laughs> I think I just jinxed us but you know looking at the last six games of the regular season you have to feel pretty good about UVA's chances now unfortunately we don't have I don't think there's a lot of wiggle room here in terms of getting into the tournament from our ACC wins. Beating Duke is great, and I think a lot of people are pointing to that being like, you know, UVA deserves to be in. We beat Duke. We beat this great team. But we also have some bad losses in the beginning of the season, and frankly, some bad losses in the middle of the season too. And so this team, I think, still has to win out in order to even feel moderately comfortable being on the bubble.
1: And if they don't win out, they probably have to go five and one. And that loss better be Mm -hmm. a loss against Duke. Yeah. So, but yeah, I I think it is important to ground this conversation a little bit because, yeah, we're talking bubble. And I think Twitter and the message boards, everyone got excited about the bubble after the Duke win. And, you know, rightfully so. They strung together three wins, like we said earlier, Mm -hmm. Miami, Duke. Those were probably the two best performances of the season. But I think to ground this conversation – you know, UVA is still on the outside looking in, mm-hmm. and it's not like even in the first four out or no. the next four out, no. uh, Lenardi likes to say. Mm-hmm. Virginia's not there yet. I think there's probably a path to get there, but you know, Virginia's got to take care of business. And even if they take care of business, you know, who knows? Maybe they lose first round of the ACC tournament and mm-hmm. things go south. But. You know, there's a path to get there, but UVA is not there yet, which I think is important as we kind of have this conversation to at least recognize.
0: Yeah. And, you know, just looking at the rest of the schedule, I think it's doable, especially because we've beaten uh, four of those teams. Well, we've beaten five of those teams. No, I'm sorry. Four. I can't count. Four of those teams already. (laughs) We've already beaten Tech. We've beaten Miami. We've beaten Duke. And we've already beaten Louisville. However, three of those wins were at home. You know, Tech, Miami, Louisville. Duke was on the road, though. So having Duke in Charlottesville is a huge boost. I think if we beat Duke twice, I would feel pretty good. Um, As
1: long as you take care of business in the other game.
0: Exactly. I think if we, I, I think that losing at Tech or at Miami might not sink us. I think losing against Georgia Tech or Louisville might might destroy us or even florida state florida state is six and seven the acc and the 13 and 10 overall a louisville too louisville's five and nine in the acc 11 and 13 overall i these teams are not great i think florida state and louisville are both probably needing to win the acc tournament to get into the to get into the ncaa tournament and meanwhile, UVA, you know, we've we've been given this chance by the hard work that this team has put in it, towards the end of the season. But we're also in this position because we lost some games in the beginning of the season that we shouldn't have. You know, look at Navy, lost by eight at home. At JMU, lost by three on the road, only scored 49 points. Probably the worst game that we of the season that we've played. But, you know, we, we've been given this opportunity. I, I do think that at the moment, we're not there yet. We're gonna need a couple more wins before we turn the heads of guys like Lenardi or, or the guy that I like, uh, the guy who runs Bracketville. He he's great. He's got us at seventy nine right now. Yeah,
1: and you know, looking at the rankings just kind of across the board, that's generally where you know we land. Ken Palm, which is not used for NCAA tournament purposes, but Kim Palm has Virginia seventy four. The net rankings, which, you know, we've looked at the net rankings before for like Mm -hmm. seeding, but this is the first time since the net rankings have been in existence that we're looking at it in terms of being in the tournament or not. The net ranking has UVA at 80th right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, where Virginia has to get, realistically, you probably have to get, you know, top 35 or so. And then you kind of hope that you're able to hang your hat on a couple big wins, like the Duke win earlier this season, because you remember the field of, 64 and now 68 about half of that is auto qualifiers Mm -hmm. you know auto bids from winning the tournaments now that is the other path uva has to making the ncaa tournament is to win the acc tournament um but i think right now the focus is just trying to win each and every game because it is an uphill climb to get there
0: yeah and you know you talk about winning the acc tournament i i just want to focus on beating georgia tech right now because i any any of those losses, I think, right now is really gonna. We would need to win the tournament to get in. Looking at the net rate, right, you mentioned the net rankings. I want to take a look at them and where the other teams are that we have left to play. Right, Georgia Tech right now is at one fifty four in the net rankings. Losing to them would be awful. Uh, NC State one thirty one and oh sorry, not NC State. Louisville is one twenty one and Florida State's ninety three. Both of those, any of those losses would be pretty bad. Miami at 72 and Virginia Tech at 43. Those are better and would be good road wins. Uh, Duke at number 11 would be a great win no matter what. So, uh, you know, once again, not a lot of room for error in the last six games. And to be quite frank, this team has not been super consistent throughout the season as you mentioned earlier after our two wins against Syracuse and Clemson we go loss win loss win loss win loss win for eight games right it didn't seem like we've really found our groove for a while and so yeah it's it's been tough to to get a hold on this team and finally we get uh, three wins in a row two wins against really good teams or better teams and there's some hope and (laughs) as you said that hope is dangerous hope is dangerous (laughs) but i'm i'm starting to believe a little bit more in this team and and what they can do just seeing them destroy duke inside made me really actually pretty confident that they can do this
1: yeah and let's talk about that just a little bit because i think so far to start this episode we've really focused on where virginia is in the broader college basketball landscape mm-hmm. and how they fit into the bubble talk but you know on the court they're winning at least they've won the past 3 games which has kind of catapulted us to have this talk even mm-hmm. so what have you liked about this UVA team the past three games you know obviously we're kind of fresh off the Duke win uh, we kind of know how that happened Virginia kind of neutralized some of Duke's stars mm-hmm. uh, really dominated the paint we're only two from 12 from three but you know is are there any other trends you've picked up on in the past three games that you like and you think have helped carried this team to where they are now
0: Yeah, you know, I I really enjoy that we're in the paint so much. And one thing that I've really noticed, and I'm sure a lot of people have noticed too, Caden Shedrick has really stepped up in the second half of the year. Ever since getting benched uh, as a starter for Cafaro instead, I think the tone has changed for this team coming out of the gate. And if you look at what Cafaro can bring, Cafaro has really done a great job of limiting his fouls early on. And I think that's huge because when you've got Kafaro and you can bring Caden Shedrick off the bench, who is a, like, frankly, more dynamic player and scorer than Kafaro, though Kafaro is really good at what he does. Caden's just got, you know, he's a little bit more exciting. He's got more bounce. He is able to block shots at a high rate. He's able to finish. Yeah, he's got better hands than Kafaro. And so having two centers who do things very differently. Is really great because they can they can both come in and change up the game. And of course, you've got Gardner, who is uh, you know he went eight of nineteen against Duke, seventeen points, eight rebounds, uh, had a huge game, especially considering he was guarding uh, Powell Bancaro for most of the for most of the game. And of course, they were doubling him a lot and doing some other stuff with Bancaro. But Gardner was a big reason that that Bancaro had only one shot in the second half of the Duke game. And that was the heave off the side of the glass uh, for the last shot. I really like how the bigs are playing together and how they're passing a lot. Kafaro's become a much better passer. Um, Shedrick's been a, a great passer. And even Gardner has been a great passer on the inside, too. Passing to each other, creating space. And, you know, Shedrick's finishes inside against Duke were just incredible. Him. Um, soaring for the the half court lob was one of my favorite that moments awesome. of this year. Probably my favorite moment of this year was that dunk. That's a lie. the yeah. the the um the, the buzzer beater was my favorite moment, but <laughs> but the the half court heave was incredible, and him also dunking on Paolo Bancaro and then saying something to him as he walked down the court was pretty good too. I I just think the, the it feels the team feels different when. Shedrick is playing well and when is playing like that tough gritty UVA defense that I love
1: absolutely man and it's been great to see Shedrick kind of get his confidence really grow into Mm -hmm. the player he's becoming Tony Bennett even said in the post game he's like you know I think we saw Caden Shedrick grow up a little bit before us tonight Mm -hmm. and he's a guy we've been waiting for you know he's been a breakout type player for the past Year or two mm-hmm. coming into the preseason, at least people thought you know he was going to have a breakout year. I thought he was really going to have a breakout year this year. Um, it's been slower than we expected, but yeah. he's he's done a good job. And you know, eight for eight against Duke is a big deal, especially the style of the points he had there as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think the bigs have been a big part of it. I would say too, you know, you got to give credit to Keye Clark yes. and Reese Beekman as well. Yeah. Um, you know, neither of them are really scores, but both of them have made plays during this mini three game stretch when it counted. You know, Kihei Clark has been, you know, he was terrific against Duke fishing in the big. Yeah. He was great. You know, he got the tie up with the jump ball. That yeah. was big. Theo speakman obviously hit the the game winner, but mm-hmm. to me the play that almost stands out as much is when he he I forget who which Duke player had the ball, but he picked his pocket right mm-hmm. under his own basket. Gets fouled, gets the and one. that. Was a huge play in the game because it was right when it felt like Duke was about to pull away with it at the end. Yeah, that game put Virginia right back in it. So both of them have been terrific dishing the ball, and we've just seen them make clutch plays. And Kihei Clark, for all the frustrations you know that people have with him, he makes great plays and big moments. And yeah. he's done that his whole career, and we're seeing Respek Ben kind of carry a little bit of that as well.
0: Yeah, I mean Kihei is clutch city. You think about. Purdue, of course, stands out. He he had the pass to Reese Beekman last year in the ACC tournament to beat Syracuse. He had the pass to Reese against Duke. He also had the pass to uh, uh, Thomas Woldatensai last year again, or two years ago. Was it last year or two years ago against Carolina when he hit it from the corner? Two years ago, It Two yeah. years ago it was right before COVID. That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> he he had that kind of wraparound pass to Woldatensai in the corner. He also had that game-winning shot against Tech uh two years ago as well. He's he's Clutch City, and you know, he KA, let's talk about him for a sec. He went four of eleven in this game, eight points, but he had nine assists, two steals, only two turnovers. He played really great defense against some guys that were just frankly bigger and more athletic than him. You know, Trevor Keels is just a uh a massive muscle freshman like he looks like he's 30 and he's probably what 19 20 he's just a really big guy Uh, a a guy that Tony Bennett really wanted for a long time you know AJ Griffin's big Wendell Moore is big and Duke's just got some big athletes on that team Kihei being undersized you know has learned to play uh, in a role where he will sometimes give up certain shots but he's smart about it uh, he, his leadership has just been great. you know, he, as the, the broadcast team said, Kihei was the only UVA player with experience playing in Cameron indoor. So he was used to the, the chance and the, the Duke students and the atmosphere and the crowd and no one else was, I think it's Kihei keeping everyone's head level that really, um, yeah, of course, along with the coaching staff and stuff. But Kihei being that calm presence on the on the court, he played 38 minutes. He basically played the whole game. You know, I, th- I think Kihei did a great job.
1: Yeah, he certainly did. He's averaging 35 minutes per game on the season, which is tops on the team. Reese Beefman, half a minute behind them, 34.5 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, but yeah, you know, and to your point, Virginia, the UVA men's basketball Twitter page. Even did a little video, basically diagramming yeah. every play you mm-hmm. said earlier today with the assists. They were showing all his assists um, just throughout the week as well. So yeah, Keya is a big part of this team, you know, with with his size and kind of admittedly the lack of talent around him compared to the championship team. At mm-hmm. least you know there's going to continue to be frustrations with him at times, and but I think as we've seen, you know he's really grown into the role um and he's he does a great job at making plays when it counts he, yeah. he's a incredibly critical piece of this team and a player they need you know if you're going to live through the bigs for a lot of your scoring you got to have someone who can get them the ball and that's what kihei did a great job of against dude so anyway the combination of those two things you know the interior inside the paint scoring you know you hope that's a trend that can continue and you know, it didn't result in a ton of free throws against Duke. And we'll just kind of leave that conversation there. Mm-hmm. But hopefully in other games, it will lead to more free throws. And, yeah. you know, combine that with the fact that you have guards that are really good at distributing the ball, terrific on defense. You know, that's, you know, bringing this conversation full circle. That's the, the play that you see. And hopefully that will co- can continue over the final six games.
0: allow uba to make a run yeah i also think you know one thing and i think this is a clear just decision by the coaching staff is to not take threes and just really push the players to take what they're given inside you know we took 12 threes in this game only made two of course we were one for 11 before the last shot which is just not a very good percentage at all from making threes i actually tweeted and i got a lot of crap for this on twitter but i tweeted (laughs) Uh, one of 11 with a with a sad face (laughs) right before and it was like you know with a minute left and duke was shooting free throws it was kind of like dang you know if we could have made like one of those uh, if we could have made one extra three you know how that would have changed this game and it's just not there and i also tweeted that you know our our three-point shooting woes will keep us out of the ncaa tournament and i also got a lot of crap for that because of course Reese makes a three, you know, five minutes after I tweet that out. When, you know, I'm not going to walk it back. That's true. If we miss the NCAA tournament this year, it's because we can't hit threes. And basically all of our losses, we have awful, awful three-point shooting. And a lot of times this team has ridden or died based on the, the shooting the three. And this game was an outlier, which I think stands out. Because we shot 2 of 12 That's 16.7% That's awful If a team's shooting that bad You probably don't want them taking that last shot like that You probably want to go for the tie But all things considered It was the right call And we shot in this game About 60% From 2 um, Which is a really Incredible stat considering all the Athletes that Duke has on that team and I think I forget the the exact amount, but I think we had about fifty something points in the paint. It was like, 58. It was like
1: 52, I think. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't even that high. I, it
0: was something like that, but it was an incredible amount of points in the paint. Like not not just like within the three point line, within the paint, it was over fifty. And I don't remember the exact number, but it was it was just a lot. And I think that I think this team and one one way this team can get there is by just making all their shots inside. If we don't have to take threes and we can still make more shots, then that's fine. We can we can win that way. But if this team latches on to the three again and just can't hit and keeps missing, then we will mi- we will probably miss the NCAA tournament because this team has not shown any consistency with with shooting a three. You know, we're we're looking at, you know, our best players right now shooting at you know, around 37%, you know, Kihei, Cody doesn't really shoot threes that often, he shoots 38%, Kihei shoots about 37 and a half, uh, Reese is actually at 35 and a half, which is not too bad for him, but once again, he doesn't shoot a lot of threes, uh, and then Armon, of course shoots a ton of threes, shooting about 26%, so, you know, if we just can't hit those threes, then we're not going to make the tournament. But if this team pushes it inside more like they did against Duke, I like our chances.
1: I mean that's gonna have to be the strategy. And mm-hmm. you know, you get exceptions maybe once a month from Armand Franklin mm-hmm. who will, you know, light up the scoreboard kinda as he did against Miami. Exactly. But yeah, you know, that's that's not gonna be the identity of this team. And you just have to hope that when it's time and when Virginia really, really needs to make a shot, you know, that <laughs> they're able to kinda yeah. like they did against Duke. But yeah, I mean, I the three point shooting was were rough and especially earlier in the season this team paid a price for it. When mm-hmm. you're not able to make that three ball and earlier in the season you have kind of Jaden Gardner adjusting to his new role on a new team at a higher level of the competition, not to mention Cafaro and Caden Shedrick, really, you know, not where they are right now. They had to grow into these roles yeah. throughout the season. So yeah, Virginia did pay a price for lack of three point shooting and They're not going to win any shootouts with teams either. But I think we know at this point the formula that has worked the past three games and probably is going to have to work over the next six Virginia for Virginia to make a run at the tournament. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's an uphill climb. That's what we talked about at the beginning of the episode. It's still an uphill climb. Virginia is not, you know, they're not on the bubble yet. They have a path to get there, but they're not there yet. So I think... That's how they're going to ultimately have to get there. Though is continuing to rely on the interior scoring.
0: Yeah. So, Rob, what I'm doing right now is I'm looking at all of our losses, and I'm seeing our three point percentage in each of the losses. I want this is a this is a game. I'm making a game right now. <laughs> I have, we haven't played a game in a while, so I'm excited. I'm excited to see if you can get it. Um, all right. In our losses, which game did we shoot the best percentage from the three-point line? Which which loss?
1: Which loss?
0: Yeah, which loss did we shoot the best from the three-point line?
1: Man, uh, I'll guess Navy just because. Actually, you know what? I'll go. I'll go Iowa since that game was competitive.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, that's close. We actually shot 47% from three in the Iowa game. Um, but that is not the highest game of the season. I'll give you one more guess.
1: Um, let me say. I don't even remember. Maybe, maybe
0: <laughs> NC State? NC State is the correct answer. We shot uh, 58% from three against NC State. Now, of course, we only, you know, we shot 17 threes, made 10. We just couldn't make any twos that game. That's a game where, you know, Jaden went five of 12 and Armand went four of, uh, four of 10 from the field. So, and all of Armand's shots were, were from made. Were, were from three. So, um, but yeah, and those are the two outliers that really stand out. The other one that stands out is, is, um, North Carolina, where we made 50% of our threes. So it's not true all the time. But in the other losses, it's been pretty bad. Against Navy, it was 25%. Against uh, Houston, it was 21%. Iowa was 47 James Madison was an awful 15% from the three-point line. Uh, I, uh, Clemson was 27%. North Carolina was 50%. Wake Forest was 38%, NC State was 58%, and Notre Dame was 21%. So, if our team shoots just a little bit better in some of those games, like against JMU for example, if we make one more shot, it's a different game. Uh we probably aren't in the state, but the three-point shooting has really hurt us this season, especially in those closer some of those closer games. You know, some of those games like North Carolina the first Clemson game, uh, um, Houston, the, making more threes probably isn't going to matter. But, you know, who knows? Against Navy, if we make a couple more shots. Against JMU, against, against Iowa, who knows what happens. So it is what it is. We can't go back in time. But it's just interesting how, you know, this team has evolved from a team that was like, oh, let's just jack threes to a team that's like, let's get it inside as much as we can.
1: Yeah. And I've said this before. I think it's a true testament to Tony Bennett. Yeah. Just the coaching jobs that he's had to do the past several years, because, Mm -hmm. you know, when you think about it, you know, even if Virginia doesn't make the tournament this year, going back to the championship team, this is what the fourth team now, if you include the championship team. So there's been four teams since then. And, each one of them has been dramatically different and the way they've had to score, at least on the offensive end. And the championship team was very good, very balanced. And we know the talent level that was on that team, but then you go to the next year and you're really lacking playmakers at guard. And they Mm -hmm. were able to work with Mamadi and Jay Huff and Braxton key. And then the year after they, it was still with the bigs, but it was different. The bigs were scoring. They were shooting the, uh, you know, you had Jay Huck, uh, uh Sam Hauser, and then Trey Murphy. And then this year has been kind of funneled back to the inside, but more of traditional bigs as opposed to, uh, you know, the more modern, the more stretched bigs yeah. like Jayhawk and Mamadi two years ago. So anyway, you know, winner, you know, as they win or lose, making tournament or not. It, it has been really remarkable the way this team has had to remake itself over mm-hmm. the past several years. And, you know, hopefully with the class coming in next year, I still expect that class is going to need probably a year to gel, just like the yeah. championship team, that class with Dre, who redshirted, of course, um, but uh, Ty and Kyle especially, that class needed a year to kind of gel as freshmen. I expect next year to be no different. But, yeah. you know, hopefully with this new influx of talent coming in, you know, hopefully for Tony Bennett's sake, he'll he'll have more guys to work with and be able to get a system that he's able to run consistently for a few years. But just wanted to say that it it really has been remarkable how his team has had to be remade and reworked for now four consecutive years.
0: Yeah, and you know, you're talking about you know gelling and stuff. Jay Huff also redshirted that year too. People forget Jay Huff was part of that class with Ty yep. and Kyle and Dre. And he, you know, just their the differences in their paths were so so amazing. But the, the, you know, you're you're definitely right. The people coming in are not gonna step in right away. It's very rare that a that a freshman, true freshman, plays significant minutes for a Tony Minute team. I mean, you can look back to uh, Malcolm Brogdon played significant minutes as a freshman before he got hurt. He broke his wrist and was out. Um, Basically, a whole season, but and then redshirted and came back. Uh, You can look at Ty and Kyle who played a lot their true freshman seasons, but you know, at the beginning, not so much. And they really started coming on later in the season. You know, Ty, think about Ty with that that game against uh, Villanova, you know, where he almost won us the game at Villanova. uh, That you know, you can look at them, but really, it was their second year and of course their third year where they really gelled together and created one of the one of the most fun teams to watch ever for me at least and I just I just think that this is gonna be true for anyone coming in and I think people just gotta get used to it people are gonna complain no matter what Tony does and I don't I don't get it you know you can be you're frustrated with the shooting percentages you can be frustrated with not getting foul calls but you know Tony's doing his best I think this year especially in the duke game he was um probably in the ref's face more than i've ever seen him and this year i think he's done a uh, not a better job but he's done he's tried harder to you know make contact not make contact but like you know tell the refs like look like you're missing calls and stuff like that so i think he's trying this year especially with this team uh he's just seen some stuff he knows when to he knows when to push and when to when to hold back and he knows when to change the offense and when to when to bring in a different offense i think he's just an incredible coach and i think that people who try to tell him to do different things from their couch are ridiculous personally
1: (laughs) yeah so anyway that that that's our meandering bubble talk and how we ended up here you know (laughs) it is what it is The, the one final thing i'll add though is i actually just finished reading um the intangible book that came mm-hmm. out kind of like the oral history and you know it's it was a fun read it's you know there's no real insights there that aren't really publicly known at this point yeah um but i will say the one thing that really was evident throughout is that it kind of gives a glimpse of tony bennett the coach and you know mm-hmm. we kind of think of tony bennett as the nice guy who gives you know good interviews and is so thankful and humble and whatnot but mm-hmm. it does give a glimpse and uh, how hard Tony Bennett works and yeah. how data-driven and metric-driven and, you know, just everything from the details of how he plans practices and whatnot. So mm-hmm. anyway, I did think that was really interesting while just we're on that subject is getting a little collapse into that side of Tony Bennett, the, that side that you assume exists, but you don't really get that good a view of from our perspective. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyway, yeah. that's that helps them a lot.
0: That's a great <laughs> point. You know, it's just, you know, we don't see what – Everyone like what people behind the scenes see with him we see the stoic coach on the sideline looks good and in, in sneakers in a in a sweater and you know against duke he got he got in the ref's faces a couple of times of course williford got teed up in the Duke game uh it was double double texts on both benches but you know this this staff works really hard and they've done a great job with this team I think. Making them or helping them to believe that they could actually win this game. A lot of people wrote them off, us included. And I, I'm excited. I'm just. I'm looking forward to seeing if they can make that push to the tournament. I think they can. I think they just need to keep playing the way that they have been.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly makes the final stretch more intriguing. You know, yeah. uh, Georgia Tech is more of a hold your breath game. Like, <laughs> just don't mess it. Yeah, but. It certainly raises the stakes for the Virginia Tech game, especially Mm -hmm. in Castle and, you know, for each of the following games thereafter. Yeah. So, yeah, it adds a level of drama and intrigue, which is always fun. You know, anytime Mm -hmm. you have a chance to compete like that, it it makes the season more fun.
0: It does. And, you know, we've got some games coming up again on national TV. Uh, You know, we got Georgia Tech, even Georgia Tech's on national TV. It's on ESPN2 at 4 on Saturday. Virginia Tech, big Monday game, ESPN, 7 o'clock, prime time It's going to be really fun. Uh, hopefully, we can pull it out. Miami is on ACC Network, which is whatever, and that's at 5 on that Saturday. And then playing Duke again at home, 7 p.m., ESPN on that Wednesday. And then Florida State and Louisville have not been determined yet. I think they're just seeing how bad those teams actually are before they assign a time slot in a TV slot. Uh, Probably, my guess is both of those will be on ACC Network at some point.
1: Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder.
0: The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
1: Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
0: Today's episode of Guys and Ties is brought to you by Sportsdrink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open up Instagram and type in at sportsdrink. It's spelled like sportsdrink without the vowel, so if you're going to Instagram at sprtsdrnk, all we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying to not let the funk out. With that, Rob, are you ready to talk some football? I know you've been itching to. Uh, big, lots of news coming out. What have you got for us? What are we What are we diving into today?
1: Yeah, well, we're kind of in the the discovery process of the new coaching staff, mm-hmm. and you know the the hires got made the. National signing day was a couple of weeks ago. They brought in their guys, and you know, it was more of a, you know, admittedly a bit more of a salvage job with that class, you know, trying to clean up the class. I mean, I think a year or two ago, I don't know if we had anyone that signed on the late signing day. And mm-hmm. this year we had like eight or nine people that signed on late signing day. Yeah. So, you know, they put the class together. Um, yesterday we got to hear from Des Kitchens, the offensive coordinator. Tomorrow uh, Friday, we will hear from John Radzinski, the defensive coordinator. So we're kind of in the discovery phase. And I know I have a couple things that we can just touch on briefly, but Dustin, I don't know, like, you know, coach Elliott has been around for Mm -hmm. quite about a month and a half at this point. And the coaching staff has been in place for, you know, call it three weeks or so, you know, do you have any initial impressions of this staff and, you know, maybe how they're Different, better, worse, you know, whatever than kind of how the previous staff was.
0: So w- what I'll say to that is, for, uh, on like in all honesty, I haven't been doing. I know you've been doing a lot of research and a lot of looking into uh, some deep dives into some of these coaches, and I have not. Uh, however, I do like some of the moves that they've done. I love love that they kept two J and Hagens. I love that Hagens has also been promoted to associate head coach i think he deserves it i think that he's been with this program for so long he's really important to it and he's important for not just recruiting purposes but he's also like honestly been one of the best position coaches in football over the past couple years with the jobs that he's done with this receiving core you know dante van wicks lavelle davis had a breakout year but you know marred by injuries and covid but you know that that wide receiver group that we had last year and even this year was fan, is fantastic and none of that happens without the work that he did so I love that he's getting recognized for that um just some of the 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 things that I've heard and read you you sent me a link i think it was you you sent me or someone sent me a link to a twenty a uh, um a saber article that listed some of the things that are going to happen to uh, or changes that are going to be made within the program you know talking about v-sabers on both sides of the helmet I like that coming back uh, the 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 jersey number picking is gone you know I, I don't really care about that I don't, I don't mind but it seems like Elliot and staff are pretty much all business and it's not like you know it's not you know. There's not like earn this, earn that. It's like we you're here to win, and we're we're gonna start winning now. And so I, I'm looking forward to seeing some other not changes and like I don't really mind the way Bronco did things, but it'll be interesting to see what Elliot does with some of the other aspects of the program. You know, like do we continue to break the rock anymore? Like that was kind of cool under Bronco, but I don't know if Elliott wants to do that. You know, I heard that the the Wahoo Wahoo Walk is coming back. Or what is it called? Cavalier crawl.
1: I think it's, it's Wahoo walk, maybe. I, but essentially, when the team comes into the stadium, yeah, yeah, it giving a chance to the fans to see them.
0: Mm-hmm. And and you know, he was saying that that it w- they would be suit and tie for that. So I I think I'm I think I'm I'm not sure what I expected, but I'm not sure I expected that as much. And of course, I didn't know much about Tony Elliott before he was hired. But I, I'm looking forward to seeing what other changes are being made, and of course, you know, new things are kind of exciting when it comes to football, and you know, it's a new new era kind of for UVA. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Rob, what about what about you? I know you've done a lot more deep dives and research. How is this coaching staff looking to you right now, and and what are some things that you like or dislike about what they're doing?
1: Sure, and you know, to your point, even before diving in, that I think. I think it's a great observation you made, and honestly, I think the way uh, Tony Elliott is setting up this program is more in the mold of a traditional college football program. Mm-hmm. I think what we saw with Bronco is that there were a lot of things that he did that a lot of other programs didn't do. Yeah, and you know, I think so much of that was really trying to turn the program around, and he did a lot of similar things, you know, that were unique when he was at BYU. Mm-hmm. The difference there was that. He turned around BYU when he was the coach there after two or three years. And then those traditions kind of maintained themselves throughout the rest of his tenure mm-hmm. and similar to UVA, but he really brought those in as a way to reestablish a culture. And, you know, the way Tony Elliott describes it is that Bronco brought in a winning culture and now it's his job to bring in a championship culture. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like the way he frames that, you know, especially yep. with his experience at Clemson. Yeah. So, Anyway, I think you're spot on with that. I think, you know, we've touched on this before. This staff is assembled, again, more like a traditional college football staff. There's people pulled from, you know, different parts of the country. You know, obviously he retained uh, Hagen's 2J and him, but the rest of the staff kind of came from varying places, be it Air Force, Army, maybe the Atlanta Falcons. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it's kind of piecing that together. And they come in and they're kind of molding a scheme as they go. You know, we, and with the offense, at least, you know, they had to, under Anai and Bronco, they had to adjust to the personnel they had. But we always knew that the end game was essentially what we saw this past season. The end game was going to be an air raid type of scheme and one with tempo if they could sustain it. Mm -hmm. And defensively, you know, it was, similar you know it was i guess it was a little different because they had an identity but they eventually molded into the scheme they wanted all along the 335 it just didn't go well and that last year and bronco and staff you know obviously didn't have the chance to see it through Mm -hmm. so you know there's there's different philosophies here and i say all that because on offense they're gonna have to mold an offense together and we know what the offense that uh, Tony Elliott likes it's more of a power spread scheme uh, you know uh, the Chad Morris the Gus on mold uh, but we're going to see how you know desk Kitching mixes mixes in his experience and he mm-hmm. talked about that the other day his experience on the Falcons and you know look for the way they use Cordell Patterson to be similar to the way we use Keaton Thompson and mm-hmm. same thing he talked about Matt Canada who was previously at Pittsburgh and their use of sweeps so expect to see that element to the offense added so the offense is kind of molding itself together and the defense I actually had a chance to watch a little bit of Air Force over the past couple of days just their their film from this past season and you know it's it's a hybrid scheme you know it's a 3-4 scheme they actually ran a lot of 3-3-5 there Um, the difference being the 3-3-5 wasn't a stack like we played this past year it was more having that fourth guy on the line scrimmage at all times so it's interesting, you know. We're seeing the type of players they're recruiting. They're recruiting a lot, and not only recruiting, but in the transfer portal, they're recruiting a lot of, you know, traditional four-three type defensive ends, those mm-hmm. five technique guys. So the scheme is going to be hybrid. It's really a matter of, you know, is it going to be a three-man front? If it's a three-man front, is there's going to be another guy on the line of scrimmage that's essentially the fourth man? You know, that'll work itself out, but it had we really don't have a good feel yet on what this scheme is going to look like um really on either side of the ball we have guesses and we know what elements will be incorporated but we we're far from a finished product mm-hmm. so for me i'm excited for spring ball to get underway to see how that starts to flesh itself out
0: exactly i, I think as we get closer to spring ball we'll get some more of those tra- tradition things as well like you know there's been some talk about maybe there's going to be some slight uniform changes. I've heard some things about maybe some orange helmets, you know, things that we haven't had in the past. And so I, I'm looking forward to seeing what Tony Elliott and, and co do to, to really get people excited to come back to, to Scott's stadium. Cause like, you know, frankly in the past couple of years, you know, you can, you can blame COVID all you want. And I, I'm sure that has something to do with it, but you know, frankly there, there had the, the, attendance level has been pretty weak um especially for how exciting this past team was with what they were doing and what Brennan was doing uh e- even up to when he got injured in in the in, at BYU and and you know it was a rough couple games but i think that it, it'll it'll go well with with Elliot i'm looking forward to seeing what he can do and you know looking forward to seeing how he rebuilds this program especially because he, you know, with signing day and a lot of our offensive line going and bringing in more offensive linemen. It's going to be really interesting this year to see how, how all these new players and, and coaches and strategies mesh w- with each other.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, they're in a good spot on offense in the sense that they have Brendan Armstrong coming back, mm. but there's a lot of position battles, you know, outside of the passing game that need to be worked out. And, you know, like I said, Brendan Armstrong, they have, good very good wide receivers to work with but running back is that something that mike collins is going to run away with or Mm -hmm. you know maybe Ahmad faustin has something to say about that that's a position i to watch Mm -hmm. as you said offensive line you know good luck guessing right now what the starting five is going to be because there's two new transfers there's a bunch of freshmen you know there's guys that have been on the roster but haven't played that much um you know, good luck Maybe that starting five. That's going to be incredibly interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about the front seven, that's going to be dependent on scheme. And, you know, some of these linebackers, do they become defensive ends? You know, we're going to have to monitor that a little bit. And the secondary, I mean, I think aside from Anthony Johnson, I think all those spots are open. I think the safety position is going to be a great position battle. Mm-hmm. You know, I think corner outside of Anthony Johnson will also be a good position battle. So, I mean, there's a lot of storylines to follow this spring, you know, personnel-wise. And then, like you said, it's kind of the cultures he's going to look to establish at UVA. And, you know, he sounds like we're getting rid of a number draft. Um, You know, personally, I love V-SAVERS on both sides of the helmet. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to bring that in. You know, I'll admit, I've never loved the orange helmets. We wore them once with Bronco. Yeah. We wore them a few times with Mike London. It, those weren't my favorite, but sounds like, you know, there's going to be some uniform tweaks, whatever they may be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's another thing to watch. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, as I've said before, I think Bronco did great things for this program. Um, but I think Tony Elliott coming in now, there's – there's a lot to be excited about and it's a different way of doing things, but I think he's maintaining the UVA culture. And I think very similar to how Bronco was, he knows what type of culture is possible at, at UVA and I think he understands how he needs to work around that and use that as a strength. Yeah. And his idea of the model program, you know, that he's been talking about and the the quality of the assistance that he's brought in. Um, you know, at least in terms of character and you know the backgrounds that they have but you know it's aligns with what uva is as an institution so i think he gets that part and yeah now that we're kind of through a lot of the hires you know they're starting to set their foundational principles we're gonna be able to start football talk pretty soon you know actually on the field talk so it's exciting to follow at least and you know i think everyone is cheering for tony elliott seems like a great person and certainly excited to see what he can do uh during his tenure here.
0: Yeah, it it'll, it'll be great and I I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well and I know people are excited and looking for it, it just seems like he he comes from a winning culture, you know, and and he does. He comes from from Clemson who who has been very successful in his offense even though you know, he, he has some struggles with Yugo uh, O'Leary this past season. You know, in the past with Trevor Lawrence, it's been outstanding. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he does. Maybe we have a run game next year. That's exciting to think about, you know. It's just interesting to, to see what, what we're going to do and, and how we're going to do it. So I'm looking forward to it. Rob, any any last thoughts or, or things that you're looking for? Yeah, I know you've talked a little bit about it, but one thing – besides spring game, that you're looking forward to seeing what this coaching staff does?
1: Man, put me on the spot like that. I know. Um. Yeah, you know, I'm curious how the roles are on defense. And, you know, aside from kind of what you talked about there, what I'm really intrigued by with this staff is it's kind of unusual how it's set up. You have a defensive tackles coach. You have a defensive ends coach you have a linebackers coach. Mm-hmm. So that front seven is kind of interesting. You know, I'm not quite sure how they're going to split the, you know, make the distinction between tackles and ends, especially if they do run more traditional three, four schemes. I'm curious if Chris Slade will work with the edge rushers mm-hmm. or, you know, if Clint sent just gets all the linebackers. I'm curious how that plays itself out. And I think there's going to be more storylines to follow, but, That's one thing I'm going to kind of keep an eye on when spring practice starts. Spring practice starts here. I believe it's March 15th. Um, Excuse me, March 22nd. So that's something I'm going to start to keep an eye on as we get closer to the, on the field. All right. uh, Football itself.
0: Good stuff. Good stuff. Rob, any last word on football or basketball?
1: Let's beat Georgia tech, man.
0: Let's beat Georgia tech. I, and, uh, I think with that we're pretty much done. Thanks for listening. This is the Guys and Ties podcast. I appreciate we appreciate everyone who listens and is patient with us when we don't do it regularly. But you know it's <laughs> it's a passion, not a not a not a job for now. Let's pay the bills. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, but uh, thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Guys and Ties Pod. Make sure to follow us on. Snapchat and Instagram at Guys and Ties Pod for all that bonus content. Go ahead and follow us on Spotify or iTunes if you like what you hear and you want to keep listening to us. And we'll see you guys next time. Go Hoos. Be Georgia Tech.
1: Go Hoos.